Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Happy Father's Day. Uh, today we are going to be in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be at this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son this morning um, is where we're, going, where we're going to be. And really the question we're seeking to answer is, who should fathers reflect? Who should fathers reflect? Uh, father's Day is oftentimes the day to reflect on our life, reflect on how we're doing as as fathers and just family in general, and uh, today we're going to look at the prodigal, parable of the prodigal son, and we're going to see who we should reflect. Um, so hopefully you found your place, Luke chapter 15, and we'll be looking at 11 through 24 this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will dive in. And God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. Uh, as your church, Lord, uh, on Father's Day, to celebrate and honor fathers, but, but more importantly, um, to worship you, God, uh, to learn from you, to learn from your word, uh, to help us become better, better fathers, Lord, better leaders in our family, God. And so as we examine this passage this morning, would you impress upon our hearts that we need to what what we need to be God in order to to parent our kids well and to lead our families well God in a way that that honors you and brings you glory and this we pray in Jesus name amen well today is father's day it's the day that we have set aside in our calendar to remember and honor uh, encourage challenge fathers President Calvin Coolidge said in regard to Father's Day, it is a day to impress upon fathers the full measure of their obligation and to encourage fathers to establish a closer relationship with their children. And in today's society, you know, fathers can rarely be present in the home. And when they are, their relationship with their children is often strained and limited, but, but that should not be the case. Fathers should be involved in their kids' lives and their children should know that, that they are loved. Children should not have to wonder, does my, does my father love me? They shouldn't say things like, I know my dad loves me even though he never tells me. Right? Kids should know that they are loved by their fathers. They should feel safe and secure. They should feel loved and cared for in our homes. Our relationship with our children should be one of closeness. We should know what's going on in their life. They should know that, that they can come to us with anything, even if they have messed up. Ultimately, our relationship with our kids should mirror our relationship with our Heavenly Father. In other words, that the way that, that we care for our children should be a reflection of the way that our Heavenly Father cares for us. And how does He care for us? Well, the parable of the prodigal son paints a, a great picture of our Heavenly Father. It puts His character on display, the character of a father. Now, I know that, that many of you, this is a familiar parable. You've probably heard it 
preached before, you've probably studied it and read it. And, and if that's you, I don't want you to check out on me this morning. I want you to stick with me this morning because as we look at this parable, we're going to draw some things out of this parable that are, are directly related to how we as fathers should act and how as we as fathers should care for our children. Now women, I don't want you to feel that that this passage, that this, that this sermon, that this day is just directed towards fathers, right? What we're looking at here is the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. And as we examine and as we learn more about the characteristics of our Heavenly Father, it should draw all of us to worship. And these characteristics are also an opportunity to know that, that this is what you should pray for, for your husband, for the father of your children, for the future father of your children. If you're not married, if you don't have kids, this is what you should be looking for in someone that you are going to marry. And so this parable is really for everyone, for fathers, for future fathers, for mothers, for future mothers. This passage is for everybody. And as we begin the parable, we see that the father receives an unusual request from his son. Look at verse 11 with me. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And now, hearing this, the, the original listeners of, of Jesus' parable, they, they would have been amazed at this request. I mean, certainly the, the younger son was entitled to his portion of the inheritance. In this case, he would have received one-third, and the older son would have received two-thirds. And the problem was that, that inheritance, just as they are today, are usually not passed out until the father passes on. But the younger son, he says, hey, I want my inheritance now, which was this deep sign of deep disrespect. He was essentially saying to his father, look, father, you are, you are dead to me. I don't care about you. I don't, I don't want you. All I want is your money. I don't care how that makes you feel. I don't care how that leaves you. All I want is for you to do whatever it takes to give me my money, and I want that money as soon as possible. And even more shocking than the son's request to the father is, is the father's response, right? Instead of laying into his son and saying, son, what are you talking about? Like, you are just absolutely disrespecting me. Instead of chasing his son out of his, out of his home, he gives in to his son's request. Look at the end of verse 12. We are told that he divided his property between them. And to understand the significance of this, we should notice that the Greek word for property is, is bios or, or life. And really what, what they're getting at here is that the property he gives his son is his means of livelihood. This wasn't just some money that, that he had in the bank. This wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to cash in my retirement fund early. No, this was the resources that he used each and every single day to provide for himself and to provide for his family. I mean, imagine that that you have reached retirement age and you're living off of your 401k or, or your pension and, and one of your sons comes to you and he says, Dad, I want for you to give me a portion of your 401k, a portion of your, your pension. Now, I don't care what, what position that puts you in. I don't care if that, that makes you poor and destitute. I don't care if you're not able to live in the home that, that you are living in. I don't care if you're able to pay your car payment or pay for your medication. I don't care if, if you and mom are, are not able to go on a vacation and enjoy your retirement years. I don't care what happens to you. I want 
my portion of the inheritance and I want it now. I mean, imagine your son coming and asking you for that. And imagine actually giving him a third of your income to your son. It would certainly cut the resources that you had to provide for your family, but that is what this father did here in this parable. And after he gave his son his portion of the inheritance, the father watches as his son prepares to leave. So, verse 13. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And before he was able to take a journey into this far country, he needed to, to liquidate these assets. And so the things that this father had worked so hard for, that he had acquired and cared for, the things that maybe his identity was wrapped up in, the things that he dreamed of passing down to his sons one day. Imagine him watching his son take the best offer that he could get for these items instead of caring for and treasuring these things, instead of using these things to provide for himself and for his family. Jesus' listeners, just like us, couldn't believe, couldn't even imagine how this father could allow this to take place. But the father does allow it to take place. He patiently endures loss and rejection at the hand of his son. And then the son and the father bids his son farewell, knowing the heartache that lay before his son. The son leaves for this faraway country, we're told there in verse 13, with a bag full of money, a bucket list of things that he wants to do, things that he believes are going to provide him with satisfaction, with happiness, with fulfillment in life. But the things he hoped that would bring him satisfaction and joy, instead they they didn't end up doing that, right? Verse 13 tells us that, that squandering his property in reckless living is what he ended up doing. In other words, he wasted his money on immoral living. He partied and partied some more until he had no money left. And, and just as he ran out of money, things went from bad to worse. This famine ended up hitting the land. He was broke, and there was really no food for hardly anyone. There was no hope of him finding a decent paying job to provide for himself. And so, verse 15, he went, hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This was probably one of the worst jobs that a Jew could have. I mean, pigs, they're considered unclean, and and here he was, he's caring for, he is feeding these pigs, and the worst part is that he wasn't even able to feed himself, and no one else was, was feeding him. I mean, talk about a downward spiral that this son went from. From from riches all the way down here to the bottom of the barrel. You see, money cannot buy us happiness. As a child, my friends and I, we would sit around in the park near our house discussing, oftentimes, what we wanted to be when we grew up. And the most common answer we would give, besides being a professional athlete, because you know we all thought that we were going to be a professional baseball player, basketball player, and something like that. I'm sure you guys can relate to that as well. But besides saying we're going to be a professional athlete, we would, we would often say that well, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. And you know why we, we gave those answers? Well, it wasn't because we cared about medicine or we, we, cared, we didn't care about the law, right? We didn't really know what doctors or lawyers really did or what the job really involved. 
Instead, we answered in those ways because we knew that doctors and lawyers made a whole bunch of money. And we wanted to have a whole lot of money. See, I lived in a, in a lower middle class neighborhood as a child. We didn't have all the, the luxuries of life. We had you know, clothing and food and a little bit, little bit extra, but we didn't have those luxuries of life. And we saw a career as a doctor or as a lawyer as a way to get those luxuries, to make it, so to speak. And I'm sure that if you think back to your childhood, many of you probably had similar conversations with, with your friends. You, and many of us, were still chasing those luxuries in life. Many of us are still seeking to, to make it. We're working ourselves to the bone. We're sacrificing every chance that we can get to make an extra dollar, to build another relationship, to connect with someone because we think that they're going to help us get ahead. We miss time with our family, with our friends, with our church. We bend the rules at times, operating in the gray because it benefits us. But here's the thing, money cannot buy you happiness. It can't buy you friends. It can't buy you what you really need. Money is temporary. When it's gone, the lifestyle that you're, you're striving to sustain, the possessions that you're after, they are gone. Seeking to make it is one big lie and even a bigger letdown. When this young man ran out of money, I mean, nobody who was right beside him as he's out partying and doing all kind of things and, and living in this, this life of luxury, nobody was beside him. No one came to his rescue. No one came and said, let me help you. He had to hire himself out to feed pigs. A Jew feeding pigs about as low as it gets. But here he is, he's at the bottom of the barrel, all because he thought that money could buy him happiness. See, money cannot fill that hole in our heart. It didn't for this young man. It's not going to do that for you either. And so don't put your trust, don't put your hope in wealth. Instead, we need to put our trust in the Lord. He is the only one who can ultimately satisfy us. Amen. Well, finally, we're told that, that this man, he, he realizes some of that. And he comes to his, his senses. He comes to himself. And he started to think, verse 17, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? And realizing his father's servants have it better, he devises his plan. And so in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, he knew that, that he had sinned against God, and really any sin, whether it be against God or whether it be against other people, is a sin against God. And he knew he also had disgraced his family. He knew he was socially dead to the community, and, and he really had no place there. But, but desperate times call for, for desperate measures. And he says, man, I, I, have, I have nothing to lose. Maybe my father will, will show me some compassion. I mean, I am his son after all. Maybe he will show me some compassion, and he will hire me as one of his servants. I mean, they have food. They have a place to lay their head. They're not out here feeding pigs. They're not wishing that they could eat the, the pig food. No, they actually have something to sustain them. And after preparing himself mentally and emotionally, after, you know, getting his speech down cold, he sets off to his father's house. And amazingly, the father welcomes him with open arms. So look at the text starting in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And what this father did was unheard of, right? I mean, men back then didn't act like this. His father sees him from a distance which meant that, that he had not written his son off. Even though his son had disrespected him, he had not written his son off. He is watching daily for his son. His son is not dead to him. He cares for his son. And when he, when he sees his son, he feels compassion for him. Anger did not well up inside of him. Instead, care and concern and pity came and then after, after this emotion comes, this feeling of compassion towards his son, he drops everything and he runs to his son. You see, children and, and women ran, but not fathers, not, not patriarchs, not men of social standing. They did not run and said they were very careful to follow the customs of their day, but, but not this father. Here he is, he sees his son and he runs to him. And after he made it to his son, he embraces him and he kisses his neck as a sign of forgiveness. One commentator says, In the Orient, to kiss someone in this way was not merely a sign of affection or recognition, but it was also a sign of forgiveness. Before his son even said anything, he had already extended a hand of forgiveness to him. He shows forgiveness. But then his son starts into the speech, you know, that, that he's got prepared, that, that, he's, that he's been probably rehearsing all the way home. And he heard that speech. Just a short bit of it. And he didn't make his son beg or plead. He did not even let him finish the speech that he had prepared. Instead, he calls his servants, bring out the best robe, bring out rings, bring out shoes for him. And all of these items indicated honor and authority and freedom. They showed the father wasn't going to take back his wayward son as just a hired hand, but he was welcoming him back into the family with everything that that meant. And he threw a celebration for the entire town to be invited. He didn't keep this a secret. The entire town was invited to this celebration. I mean, talk about something that was countercultural, something that would have blown the minds of those in the Middle East. I mean, this is an, an honor and shame culture. His son had, had shamed him. And here he is honoring his son. I mean, talk about care and compassion and love. His actions would have completely blown the mind of Jesus' listeners. But we don't have to travel back in time and halfway around the world to think that either, right? What the Father did is something that, that probably blows the, our mind as well. Think about it. What if your son did this to you? Could you take him back in the same way that this dad did? Could you lovingly embrace him the very first time that you saw him? Could you throw him a party and celebrate the fact that he is now back? Could you do what this father did, especially what this son did to him? 
when you think about it, the Father's actions are remarkable, you know, by any standard, ancient or modern. But here's the thing, and here's where it connects to us. When you examine this Father's actions, you see more than the actions of a, of a fictional Father in one of Jesus' parables. You see the actions of a heavenly Father, the actions we as fathers should reflect to the world. When the world looks at us, they should see, although it's probably going to be imperfect, but, but they should see a picture of our Heavenly Father. Which means that the fatherly picture painted for us in this parable is the picture that we should reflect as fathers. That we should be gracious and, and compassionate and, and merciful and caring and, and forgiving and, and loving. See, that this man's son, he... He deserved the life that he had made for himself as a poor, destitute beggar who worked with pigs. But his father thought otherwise. His father did not give him what he deserved. Instead, his father exercises mercy and grace, giving him what he doesn't deserve, the gift of sonship. He extends care and compassion and love to his son as he welcomes him back into the family with honor and authority. And as fathers, we too should exercise grace and mercy with our children. We should forgive and care for and love just as this father did. While we may never experience a situation like the one in the parable, there are times when our children are going to hurt us. They're going to hurt our family. They're going to hurt our wallet. They're going to hurt our pride. There will be times when our children sin against us, hurting and, and offending and dishonoring us. And in those times, we might be tempted to lash out at them. We might be tempted to give them what they deserve, our full wrath. But that's not how we should act. Instead, we should approach them with love and care and compassion. We should be quick to forgive them. We should be quick to extend grace and mercy to them. We should not hold their actions over their head. Instead, we should lovingly embrace them. We should do that because our Heavenly Father has done that for us. You see, we're just like that prodigal son. We deserve God's wrath. We, we don't deserve His grace and His love and His care and His compassion and His, his mercy, but, but God gives that to us and He gives that to us freely. Even while we are His enemies, even while we are rebelling against Him, even while we are seeking His throne, Jesus comes and He dies for us. He extends grace and mercy and forgiveness to us. And even as believers, even as those who have repented of their sins, who have turned from that, who, who have sought the Lord, and who believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, even as those who are adopted into God's family and given honor and authority, just as the Son is, we still sin against God. And He continues to forgive us. He continues to exercise grace and mercy and compassion on us. And we must remember that. We must remember what the Father has, has done for us. And that really is the key to us being a good father to our children. You see, the key here to us reflecting our, fatherly, our Heavenly Father's attributes is to experience those ourselves. See, Jesus must have done a work in our life in order for us to reflect the attributes 
of our Heavenly Father because only through Jesus are we adopted into God's family. Only through Jesus do we experience these things. And only if we have experienced these things can we both now reflect that within our family. And so, if, if you're watching or you're, you're here this morning and you admit that, that you are not a Christian, it is going to be virtually impossible for you to act in the way that this Father did. To mirror our Heavenly Father when it comes to how we interact with our children. You see, you may from time to time exhibit some of these attributes, some of these characteristics, but to consistently act as this father did is going to be absolutely impossible. That's because we can't reflect what we haven't seen and what we haven't experienced. See, if you've lived in the same town for most of your life, or if you or your family have known another family for any length of time, it might not be uncommon for you to hear from from one of the older adults who knows your dad well and who knows you, you are your father's son. Sometimes we say that in a, in a loving way. Sometimes people say that in a, in a not loving way, right? But, but you are your father's son. And what people mean by that is that you are acting, you are thinking, you are, you are speaking in a way that, that reflects your father. And for better or worse, you, you were able to mimic your father because you know him intimately. You grew up with him. You spent time with him. And now as, adults, as an adult, you reflect him to those around you. And you can only reflect those whom you know. And the same is true of our Heavenly Father. We, we can only reflect him if we actually know him. If we have a relationship with him. If we have experienced him. In other words, we can only accomplish this if we are actually a child of God, to call Him Heavenly Father. God as, as Father is, is certainly not our natural state, right? Naturally, we are sinners. We are, we are sinners who live as rebels of God. We are outside of God's family. But we can. We can be adopted into God's family by believing that Jesus is His Son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who came and who died for us. When we profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become children of God. Our relationship with God transitions from one of enemy to Father. And at that time, we are experiencing God's grace and mercy and love and care and compassion and forgiveness. And even before that time, but now we're really realizing that God is not our enemy. God is not out to get us. God is a loving, caring, heavenly Father. You see, if you want to be the father that God has called you to be, then you need to call on the name of the Lord. You need to exercise faith in Jesus, relying and trusting Him as your Lord and as your Savior. And so this morning, do, do you believe that, that Jesus has actually come? Jesus has actually satisfied the wrath of God against you because of your sin by dying in your place? Do you actually believe that? Have you, have you turned from trusting in yourself? Have you turned from trying to work your way to God or, or just complete disregard for who God is and if there is even a God? Have you turned from that to turn to say, God is the Creator, He is the Savior, He is the all-wise, sovereign King of this universe. And I believe that. If you have turned to Jesus, then and only then can you begin to be the Father that, that your children need you to be. The Father your, your children desperately want you to be. 
Only those who have experienced God as Father can reflect His attributes to their family and to the watching world as a witness for Jesus and the power of the Gospel. And fathers, this Father's Day should certainly be a day to, to be celebrated, to be honored, to be encouraged as a father, but it should also be a day that, that impresses upon you the full measure of your obligations. The need to, to establish a relationship with your children. A relationship you can establish by reflecting the attributes of your Heavenly Father. And so let today be a day of celebration. By all means, gather together with your family. Gather together with your children and celebrate today. But also let today be a day that challenges you. Let today be a day that, that reminds you of who God wants you to be. A godly Father who reflects His heavenly Father's attributes. And if you don't yet know the Father, today is an opportunity for you to know Him. It's a day for you to experience the love and care and compassion and forgiveness that only He can provide. In a moment, Nathan and the praise team are going to come. They're going to lead us in a song of worship. And this is an opportunity for you, for you to repent of your sins, to profess your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you want to do that publicly, I'll be standing down here in the front uh, at the beginning of our song. If you want to talk later in the week, I'd be happy to get together with you for coffee or whatever it might be to, to talk more about what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And today, for those fathers who have turned to Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, let this song, as we sing it, be an opportunity for you to reflect on your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Let this, let this song draw you in to what He has done for you. Think about how you can extend those attributes and characteristics out into your own family. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank You for this day and this opportunity to gather as the church, to celebrate Father's Day, but also, more importantly, to worship You, God. To reflect on who You are on your care and compassion and love and forgiveness for us, God. We ask, Lord, if there's someone here today or someone who is watching who doesn't know you, that, that you might work in their hearts, that you might draw them to yourself, that they might see that, that who you are is what they need. They might turn to Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And for those of us who have done that, who, who believe in Jesus, God, who would call ourselves Christians, let today be a day that we reflect. Let today maybe even be a turning point in our relationship with our children as we begin to actively work on reflecting these characteristics. And God, help us with that. We are imperfect people who need you, God, each and every single day. And this we pray in Jesus' name.